and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon. Joining me across the desk after an ennui-filled poolside lounging with Pope London in the afternoon, at night she popped out of the shrubbery to protest him. It's Regan Levitt. If only that were really my legacy. I could use with a poolside lounging <laughs> It has been a rough month for you. Uh, busy say, month. I would say month. rough, but very busy. Yeah, podcast. <laughs> lots of podcasting. Yes. I mean... Teaching summer classes. Yeah. A I campus mean, visit. Uh-huh. All of that. So, we've recorded like six or seven episodes this month, I think. Yeah. Uh, after today. So, mm-hmm. look at us go. We're just trying to throw... And you, and you still found time to protest Pope Lenny. <sighs> I do feel... Filled with protest. I was going to say, if there's one episode at which to protest Pope Lenny or this show, this is it's maybe this one. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, g- given that I walked into your office and immediately I asked, why was that episode so fucked up <laughs> and fucked up in so many ways? Yes. Um, so which we'll get into. I think we should note that I found out yesterday that one of our colleagues, uh, as a result of this podcast, tried watching oh. the Young Pope and was outies after two. Good, good for Dan and Marianne. Was too weird. Was one complaint, and he's too much of an asshole. Was the second complaint, and like I can't say either of those are wrong, but rather I think those are reasons to affirm rather than deny. Well, the show. I, let's also remember very different person from you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This did lead to like a good. We had a department of a departmental reading group uh, this month, and so all five of us were there, and that led into a good conversation on what each of us wants from like TV and movies. And <laughs> true to form, I wanted the most fucked up stuff from uh, TV and movies. <sighs> On that note, we're talking today about the Young Pope episode eight, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino, Tony Grizzoni, and Pepe Fiore. And we would like to know that this podcast was recorded during WGA and SAG after strikes, and then without the labor of the writers and actors who are currently on strike, this show would not exist. So they should pay their fucking writers and actors. Regan, do you have an IMDb summary for us? I do. Uh, The Pope deals with his grief after experiencing a personal loss, and he travels to Africa, where his eyes are opened to wider suffering. Terrible IMDb summary. Oh my god, so terrible. So my general approach to this episode is that the parts that are set in generic Africa, which is itself part of the problem, like Mm -hmm. the Africa as a country meme, whatever, um, is the worst this show has to offer over its entire, like, ten episodes or whatever. Mm. But the, the stuff on either side of it is, like, shockingly good, considering how shockingly bad the stuff in quote-unquote Africa is. I think that's a correct read. I think, for me, this was an episode that was very much about sex and women and, like, relationships between women and the earth and women and their sons. And, I don't know, boggled, really. It was like, this is this is what we put together, everybody? The like supremely uncomfortable. Um, That's like the best we yeah. could possibly do to try to like unite the various or synthesize or connect yeah. or thread together the various things that are happening in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like for me, the, this episode is just overwhelmed and overshadowed by its colonial jaunt in the mm-hmm. like most of the second and third act. Yeah. 
Although this isn't really an act structure show, but that's less important. Right. Um, yeah, towards the latter half of the episode. Um, I felt like the setup was interesting. Well, recently I was I found myself going back to episode two, thinking mm-hmm. about this episode, mm-hmm. where there was so much going on in episode two where I was like, um, I don't really understand everything that was happening. Um, and had to rewatch that episode several times. Um, this time I think I managed to get it <laughs> in one, but it was just so Doesn't weird. have much deep to say. No. Um, I don't think. Not really. There's so much about this that, like, just reeks of colonialism, right? It's that, I mean, I'm sure they didn't want to, like, quote-unquote offend, uh, like, mm-hmm. a particular African nation right. by naming that that's where Lenny was going. So instead it was, like, a made-up generic one with a made-up generic flag. But it's, like, that itself is, like, a colonial trope. That you have, like, generic black man dictator of an African country in military garb who's, like, loved by some but is actually a torturer, like, is, you know, itself its own trope. Like, mm-hmm. the poverty, the death, and the way that the show shoots poverty, shoots and lingers on, like, this dead body on the side Mm -hmm. of the road as the Pope and his, like, retinue drive by. I mean, that just, like, starts to get it going on, like, the way that this is just, like, oozing colonialism. It's, I think, an overread to say, like, this is them critiquing the TV portrayals of things because it's not, but they're using those in such a way to also point out the uncomfortability Mm -hmm. of how, like, the probably how the Vatican has to operate as a national decider of things. I don't know. You know, and and how it is as an actor within, like, the political world and the economic world also. Right. Sister Antonia, who, like, becomes the central figure for the latter half of this episode, like, has a lovely relationship with General Abadi, mm-hmm. um, the the leader slash portrays dictator of this made up country, um, and there's clearly some like Voyello, and interestingly, in his role as Secretary of State, like has some discomfort around the closeness of this relationship. Right? right. You know, he cites a UN report naming Abadi as a torturer, like mm-hmm. in in public in front of everybody. Right? That's not a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Sister Antonia is, of course, running her own like incredibly cruel and violent colonial scheme um, on the people of this unnamed nation Mm -hmm. um, to the point of like as she is hoarding water for herself and like this was a good touch like in her fridge right her mini fridge Mm -hmm. in her room Mm -hmm. um, and like yelling at 100% 100% unnamed. I don't, th- you know, so I was, I don't, I'm trying not to like read, go back and read reviews as we are about to record and stuff. Um, but just because this episode is so fucked up and strange, I did read the Shanti Collins review of it and he pointed out that like there's no black person that has a speaking role in this episode. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's so terrible um, of me to realize. I didn't put that together until you said it. Yeah, I didn't put that together until I read it in that review. What did you make of Lenny's then speech? Um, his second speech I um, sat through and I thought, like, we are witnessing him, like, not only is he going to Africa at, like, a, a moment of intense personal crisis. Yeah. Um, like, we're watching him. It's self-a-trope, right? Yeah. Like, you're a sad boy Westerner, Westerner, so you yeah. go to the other, to the Orient, to, like, the Heart of Darkness, yes. to choose your colonial trope, yeah. um, to find yourself. Right. So does this and then also manages to just do, like, undo everything from his first homily in some way. Not the Lenny that we had dealt with before. Why not? 
because he, I think, is finally feeling some kind of sense of grief or remorse Mm -hmm. for a lot of things in his life Mm -hmm. and this up until this point. Now that Andrew, who's kind of been his like white shadow, if you will, Mm -hmm. is gone. Yeah. So now he can no longer be kind of the darker brother. His one true friend, right? As he says, I think twice in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's also like that duality that comes with Lenny and Andrew. I think is that he no longer has like the light half to remind him um, that he that the church is doing good because I would argue Andrew was trying. Um, but he so he can no longer just kind of run his mission without having intense scrutiny on him. Right. He has no one to be like, look at what the good stuff we're doing is. Does that make Lenny more suspicious of Sister Antonia? Because if we assume that Andrew was, like, doing good things in Honduras and, like, Sister Antonia is being extremely cruel under the cover of, like, mm. she's she's on the saint track, right? I think I think one of the characters says she wants to be Mother Teresa. Um, right. You know, like, the fact that she's doing that is a means of pure exploitation, right? Maybe, right. That, con- maybe that contrast is also on Lenny's mind as he gives this bizarre speech bizarre but like utterly banal and saccharine at the same time yeah yeah lacking a lot of teeth and a lot of harshness that we've seen from him before yeah i the one thing that is consistent though is like so it's all set up everybody assumes that he's going to make his first public appearance right nobody has seen him no one's seen his face whatever um there's a chair all set up next to a body and he gives this speech over the loudspeaker from a thoroughly unseen, including by us, including by the camera. Right. It's like the presence is absence thing remains, Mm -hmm. but then the content of what fills that form of presence is absence is indeed, I think totally different. I agree. I feel like this time he does not want to be seen versus he, in the previous episodes, that's a power trip for him of like, haha, you can't see me in this situation. It's, I don't want to be seen, I think, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's out of a vulnerability this time? I think so. If that's the case, which I'm I'm intrigued by this reading, I think that draws a connective thread to the flight back to the Vatican, Mm -hmm. right? Where he, like, emerges from the sealed-off, like, papal section of the plane Mm -hmm. to walks back all of the journalists except for one, um, are sleeping and like he is playing a joke, but also has this like moment of like kindness and gentility, um, with one of the reporters Yeah, where he does, ex- you know, he, Jude Law acts it as if he's being vulnerable, mm-hmm. whether Lenny's actually capable of that is maybe a different question. Mm, good points. Good points. But I mean, like even the content of the speech itself, right? So like it's, it's just like useless pablum. He said he's seen dead bodies and hunger um, and thirst and that too many people are guilty of violence. And actually, we're all guilty of war and death and violence. But instead, we can all be ready. We can all be guilty of peace and that that's the route to God. And he throws in a St. Augustine reference that, you know, we have the ability to see God, that God is love. And so if he, uh, he says that, okay, you give us peace or yourselves peace or the world peace. Um, then all of a sudden, like you have a relationship to God and like, then you can see me, right? This is all of course, prefaced by him starting on the loudspeaker in true Lenny mode, just like pronouncing this is the vicar of Christ. Mm -hmm. Not a bad opening line for a speech, I guess. (laughs) I mean, we did feel that the vicar of Christ was, was one of our favorite papal titles. It's my it's my favorite. Uh, it's my personal 
favorite, my like professional second favorite, because I have to go with the sovereign of Vatican City. Mm. Um, I'm professionally obligated to. Okay, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a speech that I think also alludes to the fact that he's losing his passion for this and like mm. things <laughs> are falling apart. Yeah. That's another than connection to like that first 20 minutes of the episode yes. or whatever. Yeah. Two other things about the speech. One is that in terms of the content, this is like a very basic you know, decolonial 101 sort of reading of it. But the way that he frames it as like, you are all guilty of, or we are all guilty. He does say we, I guess we are all guilty of war and violence and death. We can all be guilty of peace is like a pure individualization of the colonial relationship that like abstracts from the colonial context, right? It's like a classic move to disavow colonialism, uh, in its, uh, historical and ongoing way is like an actual contributor to conditions some place in the world, right? It's totally absent of any context. It's an mm-hmm, individualization mm-hmm. of the problem. Right. Um, is the first thing I would note. Then the second thing is, I mean, how, how did you respond as a person watching this show? You're like, what the fuck is happening in this episode? There's so much sex. There's so much Lenny learning to fuck his mom. There's all this colonialism bullshit. He's giving this whack speech. And at the same time, a like soft indie rock cover of Halo is playing. Um, Felt a little weird. Um, felt a little, um, gave, as the kids say, gave me the ick. Um, <laughs> I, at first, I, like, I, I remember listening to it, and I'm, I will be the first to admit, I am, um, not a real big Beyonce fan. I have a lot of Beyonce, fine person. I would say I like Beyonce a lot more than I like Taylor Swift. Um, close listeners will know that I really hate Taylor Swift. It's true. Um, so sorry, dear colleagues who are Swifties. <laughs> um, I'm not a big... So it took me a minute to realize that it was Halo by Beyonce. Because mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, this is kind of familiar. I know this is a pop song. <laughs> um, and then uh, put it together and was like... I, I don't know. I thought at first maybe this was trying to signify like a change in heart for Lenny. Like maybe he's starting to finally feel God's embrace. Um, as the lyrics do <laughs> talk about. Um, but this is also a song that's not really about God, but comparing Jay-Z to an angel, which <laughs> I, Beyonce, I don't know if that's the right call, but, you know, it was a different time then. Um, so, um, that was kind of my, my first run. Um, and then later I was thinking about how disingenuous it was. Like, I would have been a lot more moved if it was, like, a, an actual church song, like, you lift me up or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah. So that was my kind of run is that, okay, we're, we, we're co-opting this pop song allegedly about something that's, you know, sort of religious with no strong religious undertones, but going back again to like also connecting a lot to the sex in this episode. Like it's, it's so weird about like the idea of intimacy and mixes emotional and intimacy and sexual intimacy very easily in a very gross way. I mean, Lenny has no conception of any difference between those things. It seems right. right? I agree. Yeah. This song is a wild ass choice by Paolo Sorrentino at yes. all to play there. I mean, I, the first time I heard it, I was like, is Lana Del Rey covering Beyonce? That was my <laughs> first thought. And like, I'm sorry. 
all your faves are problematic. I am a Lana Del Rey fan. Like, no, I am also a Lana Del Rey um, fan. She and, is cool. And like musically as well, which I'm sure you could predict. Right. Um, she dated a cop one time, but now they're, they've broken bad. up. Yeah. They're broken um, up now. She learned. And she's was has been working at Waffle House, which Something I'm assuming like is some kind of stunt. But anyway, irrespective, the actual artist here is Lada Kessner, um, which I'm assuming is German. So like you have the dynamics of, you know, so a song by like the most prominent black woman artist mm-hmm. in the world right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One would say. Correct take. Um, and turning it into, like, sad girl white indie rock. Um, yeah. Which I move. love. Yeah, But also this feels like an icky move. In the... While they're doing this like colonial Africa adventure yeah. um, in, the, in the show. Like, it's just... It's just a really bizarre choice by the show. I agree. There's a there's a reading to offer that mm-hmm. I disagree with, an okay. overreading to offer that I disagree with. But like, if we were to be exceedingly and much too generous with the show, like if we could bring Paolo Sorrentino here and like, and we are like, what the fuck are you doing in this episode? I think one answer he has available to him would be something along the lines of that this episode by a pointing out uh, Sister Antonia's scheme is calling attention to the actual colonialism of um, of the Catholic Church engaging or like fulfilling or playing with or toying with or presenting like as perspective that colonialism, right? So it's like, what is the Catholic Church's colonial perspective mm-hmm. on the Church's colonial mission work mm-hmm. or something like that? So it's supposed to, like, be one giant satire, witness this, like, banal as hell speech by Lenny, witness this strange choice of versions of Halo to play um, in the background, and that it's, like, supposed to all be a satire or some sort of spoof on the Church's colonialism. I don't think that's right, but I think that, like, that's, if we wanted to be generous, what we would mm. say. Yeah. I mean, because it's so, it's, like, it's, like, probably for me, like, 25 degrees off of actually being satirical. Yeah. And if they had <laughs> pushed it mm-hmm. and gone for full satire, as they have like? done many times, I think it would have been really smart. Yeah. If they had pushed it into, like, full satire mm-hmm. mode, that would have been hilarious how also in, very smart how in like those 20 minutes 25 minutes that we spend there could they have done that right we would have heard like a ridiculous overblown speech from the um dictator um or would-be dictator we would have seen a lot more intermixing of like nationalism and catholicism mm-hmm. and, like oh we're so honored to have the pope here because it would be it would have been the pope as a political tool they would have given the country some kind of name yeah it would have been i think a lot smarter we would have seen a lot more things be pressed and pushed and we would have been shown the ridiculosity of a lot of this that's going on instead it's like just not giving it enough to really make it make you think yeah unless you're someone who's like keenly aware of these problems which i would say most viewers of this show probably not yeah that's that's a great question i think the thing that like has me shook about this episode is that there's all of its colonial trappings that exist alongside lenny fig after being informed, right, by the African priest, mm-hmm. whose name we don't get, of course, right, right. Um, Lenny unravels and goes hard after Sister Antonia. Like, mm-hmm. he has no time for her. Voyello has no time for her. So right. you have 
uh, Catholics, right, Catholic officials, right, the Catholic official using knowledge that was given to them by an indigenous population to <laughs> remove to the fullest possible extent one of their own. Like, Lenny goes hard after Sister right. Antonia. And so, like, there's a recognition of what Sister Antonia is doing and presumably the church as a whole is able to do by, like, smuggling in, like, extreme forms of cruelty and exploitation under the guise of charity or mission work. Right. That's there in this episode. Right. But it's we within have, like, the broader, the- like, colonial container still. Right. Well, and we have, like, this interesting scene, Lenny seeing in the reflection of the chalice mm-hmm. of, the, of his first indicator that something here is terribly, terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. He sees it through his lens that homosexuality yeah. is evil because Sister Antonia is like, I don't know, playing handsy. Is that yeah. a game people play? I don't know. Um, like with, with one another, of the other sisters, with other, yeah. other sisters. And he's, I think, initially his is like, oh, she's homosexual. This is bad. And then, um, you know, Sophie catches on, and she and he, she and Lenny exchange a look, and they know that this is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he presses her at the big dinner, mm-hmm. right? About like, how do you know you're really good? Like, we all assume that we're good, but is that true? Then, like, has the nighttime scene. He can't sleep, so he goes out to smoke and mm-hmm. sees first of all some of the like children and youth and teens like who live in this village, um, sponsored by Sister Antonia's organization, like licking the side of this water device, mm-hmm. right? Because they are so thirsty. Followed by them getting beaten for doing so by the guards. Yes, yeah. put an episode. I mean, my read on it, the whole thing, and we'll come back to this in theory ship. I think is that I read this initially as like a critique, like an ecofeminist read in almost a way. Uh, maybe ecofeminism mixed with a bit of Freud, with like Lenny notoriously known for treating uh, women poorly, mm-hmm. has like weird relationship dynamic with his mother. Um, this episode really drove home the Jesus dad and angel mom. <laughs> it sure did. Right? And Lenny like clearly wants to have sex with his mom. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took it as like, as Lenny has these like complex feelings about women in his life, um, and how he's treated them poorly, that is like analogous to how the Catholic Church has treated Africa. Um, Africa is commonly portrayed as like in a motherhood figure, like Mother Africa or a place you go home to. Um, I forget the official title, but like the original Eve or whatever that we can all trace our haploids back to, you know, is from Africa. Um, so I was reading it as like an inappropriate usage of the resources and women mm. and people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as Lenny clearly wants to fuck his mom, Catholic Church wants to fuck Africa and do whatever they want with it. So that was my read. Which, I, I buy that reading. That's well, a better reading than my like, if we were being generous reading of, of the show. That's just where I was at um, <laughs> in thinking about it. So, yeah. But I mean, that emphasis on like the colonialism of the Catholic church being set up to have some relationship to like Lenny wanting to fuck his mom and all Mm -hmm, of that, mm -hmm. like is brought to a point so severely at the end of the episode. Mm. Right. So we have, you know, the Lenny's flying back. They have to land in Naples, I think because Mm -hmm. the weather is so bad outside of Rome and they're going to like caravan drive from Mm -hmm. Naples or wherever to, to Rome. Lenny asks to stop. It's out. He, 
is bathed in angelic light. Yes. This time, not from like some beautiful lighting. Well, but it's also right. beautiful it's lighting also by the lighting department. It's also the truck stop in the middle of Italy, and like the two truckers just they're like, let's put the high beams on and like illuminate, <laughs> illuminate the pope. Right. Um, and also like profoundly disturbing prayer scene in that he was, I think given it his all like his eyes start crossing he that is intense yeah Jufa's acting in that scene in particular just absolutely incredible mm-hmm. the fervor that he is able to communicate silently mm-hmm. right because like they cut his audio out as he's bathed in the light uh, as the rain's falling as all of the all of our main characters on Lenny like we get a shot of Sophia watching of Sophie watching Lenny we get a shot of uh, Sister Mary watching Lenny and a shot of Waylo watching uh, the Pope as well and he's just there like I I almost feel I don't I doubt they did this but it's like they sped it up to like 1.25 speed um, mm-hmm. the way that like, yeah, his is mouth like is fast. moving and eyes like, are going he's but like yeah he's having it out with God and I feel like that is the truest we've seen of him mm-hmm. I think brings into another point about discussing Lenny's character which I think we're moving there so I guess we'll go that way um, to how Lenny is reacting to Andrew's death and also to this horrible news and wanting to take action against sister or mother um, Antonia yeah to reverse it, so I was to start with the Sister Antonia part right. of it, right? Like, you know, I think we came to the point earlier that, like, there's this contrast between um, Andrew or Lenny's understanding of Andrew mm-hmm. and Sister mm-hmm. Antonia. And, like, what does Lenny do at the end of the episode? He literally, like, smites her down via God. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, he prays so fucking hard. That, that she has a heart attack. From a continent away, she has a heart attack. Yep. Just what a scene. Like, Lenny, like, murders her f- via prayer. Like, yeah. I, that's how we're meant to interpret, right? I, what I happens? think that maybe it's, I mean, I think it's an interesting run. Because at this point, he's healed someone. He's also, like created life and now he's taking it away mm-hmm. so preserving it creating it and taking it whew, lord i don't know that's some powerful white man and i don't Guys, like you're it saying, like yeah get, get you someone who can do it all um, i guess <laughs> and there's the final shot of the episode too so it's not so this i think though t- pairs with your point about like he's doing all of the most powerful things that a being or not a human, but a being could mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. do. And that he's also projecting back to this like idyllic scene that I'm, that we're meant to assume never actually happened. Right. Where like he's in nature, right. generic nature with his like Jesus dad image and like hot angelic mom image. Mm-hmm. Um, and the episode just pure ends with, um, so they're all nude or like just the men are wearing underwear or something. Yeah. Um, and like ends with, uh, camera like front on his mother as like she stares into the camera and takes like a like very like shallow breath. Mm-hmm. Fucked up. <laughs> Fucked me up. Yeah. No, it was weird. Um, yeah, definitely weird as he just like clearly, I don't know, just, um, also I think some themes coming out like, of how we handle grief. Like, yeah. Lenny's in the anger stage about Andrew, I think, right now. Yeah. Um, or does he go through multiple stages over the course of the episode? Is well, that a way the, to read, like, him at Castel Gandolfo to him at the end? Like, he's maybe. traversed from, like, one of the earlier stages to anger? Maybe. I think so. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite ennui, Lenny, grief, Lenny moment? I'm so tired. 
Because <laughs> I am also so tired. The same bestie. Um, I don't know. But I think um, I think a lot about the opening of that episode. Please, which is, please say more. Okay. So the prayer in the pool. Um, can we all just, you know, be honest? That was weirdly erotic. Uh, he looks great praying at the bottom of a fucking pool. Uh, he really does. And then he's doing some, like, amazing accent work that I think is really interesting, connecting back to the truck stop scene. Mm. So we hear his monologue. He's, like, holding his breath, right, at the bottom of the pool, right, and he's praying for Andrew, and his kind of weird working class East Coast-ish accent comes out. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're meant to think he's from maybe, like... Queens or something. Yeah, it's more Queens than Brooklyn, I do think. Yeah, I think it's more of a Queens accent than Brooklyn. Um, And that comes out, and it's so strong, and I feel like that was our episode about how honest we're meant to take him, Hmm. is that when he uses that accent, he's showing his real self and his true intentions, and Mm. it's him at his most honest. Mm -hmm. He flips that accent on at the beginning of the truck stop scene when he's like, listen here, God, let's go, and he drops into that accent. Whereas whenever he's in public or with people or is lying or, you know, being manipulative, he's using a very generic American accent. Right, where it's only, like, a couple vowels, i.e. Sister Mary, where he drops back in, yeah. Right. That beginning monologue is, like, him at his most honest. And I don't know. I was kind of here for that version of the accent um, as someone who, at eight episodes in, really misses um, Jude Law's natural accent. Um, I'm, that's just how I feel. It's just how I feel. Um, but I was, like, really there for it of, like, wow, we're seeing him at his most honest in some ways. But, yeah, really erotic prayer at the bottom of the pool, right? Resurfaces in his papal trunks. Yeah, having, like, a major, major depressive episode, I would say, at the beginning. (sighs) Yeah, he is. And I think one of the things that you are very keenly emphasizing with this episode is that this, particularly, like, first 20, 25 minutes of the show, of this episode, are, like, pairing the sad, depressed, like, grief-filled Lenny with, like, the horniness of Mm. this show, Mm -hmm. right? Like, witness, of course, this pool scene, right? Which, like, the camera, rightfully so, in my mind, like, lingers on Jude Law, like, Mm -hmm. in the pool, Mm -hmm. right, in the swim trunks. And, like, we go from that to him, like, being stretched slash wrestled, stretched. Yeah, like a weird erotic massage. Homoerotic massage ever committed to to non-pornographic film. Um, And, of course, that's playing against Lenny's, like, anti-queer, homophobic agenda that's, like, at the core of his papacy, um, as he wants to understand it. So, yeah, it's, like, that pairing, you know, not quite great books loves it, like... Eros Thanatos, like, sex death, <laughs> love death. Um, witness the Barbenheimer pod that I'm oh, about Lord. to record when Reed and I are done with uh, Daniel. I've not yet seen Barbie, but it's on the list. <laughs> so, oh my God, he's, yeah, he's so tired, right? Yep. He's, look is great, like, lounging in his hat by the pool. You and that um, hat. I do. I, I could never pull it off, but I'm... I wish mm. I had a hat that I could pull off like one tenth as much Fair. as Jude Law. You are, yeah, you're not a hat person. I'm not a hat person. Like, look, when we all go on the boat, like us and friends, <laughs> you'll see my like dorkiest fucking hat that I could possibly own that I need for my bald head. Um, <laughs> because I have- you're the professor with no hair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to the student who wrote that. Um, right. 
Uh, I mean, like witness, I was at lunch earlier this week with our friend Lee um, and then like two former students who recently graduated um, and like we're sitting outside at the pepper um, and in like an hour and a half of like having lunch outside, even with a bit of cloud cover, just like fucking red. Like, you know, you do look a lot tanner today for whatever reason. Um, This is like this is is like three days post uh, like the pepper outside uh, (laughs) City Hall Place uh, bald ass sunburn. Well, can't win them all. No, you can't. <laughs> that you one can. I can never. I've never won um, in a long, long, long time. But yeah, he's he's really tired. Mm-hmm. There's like some very intense Sophie moments. Yes, um, while a lot of deep connections with Sophie, which is yeah. weird because you. I I feel like Esther at this point has been like shoved out. We only get the one awkward photo with him and Baby Pius. Esther shoves Lenny out, right? Like, yeah. or Peter has, or someone has, right? Because yeah. like Lenny gets back to the Vatican, like. First question, what happened to all the roller skating children? Right. A great line <laughs> aside. Uh, and then B, like, goes to Esther and Peter's house and, like, they are just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really, really upset about that. Witnesses, mm-hmm. like, that comes back later, right, in his confession that he gives. The only confession we've ever seen him give, he's never actually confessed to Tommaso. He confesses to this African priest, mm-hmm. right? He can confess to the other, but not to Tommaso. Yeah. He and Sophie, there's like an interesting, are they sitting together? Are they sitting apart? Mm-hmm. Like, what's their body language together? I don't know. You proffered that, like, Sophie is kind of, there are elements of his mom that he sees in Sophie or elements of, like, Sophie yeah. that he sees in his mom or something. Yeah, I think something with, like, how Sophie is, like, very in charge of herself in many ways um, and I think his mom is clearly a woman who is making her own choices. Yeah, you know, absolutely. whatever they're not great parenting choices, but that's okay. They're she hasn't killed anyone to my knowledge. I'll give her that much. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of like mixing of of Sophie and and his mother in ways that he doesn't mix with actual mother Esther. Sophie's character has a wild. New, this her storyline in New Pope is one of the most bizarre. Oh boy! Um, if we ever make it there okay. in future summers, we'll see. <laughs> but I mean, they also like there's a way in which Sophie is like a strange like foil or mirror. I can't decide which mm. one for Lenny, and like she's very willing to like play indulge him in like his like argumentative games. But, like, also talk back to Lenny mm-hmm. and also play a version of the Sister Mary role of, like, puffing him up mm-hmm. uh, and, like, restoring his confidence, right? Witness the – he says that he never, you know, doesn't like to travel and she's something about, like, well, intelligent men never feel comfortable on vacation or something to that mm-hmm. extent. After she's like, things are going bad, huh? And this Lenny also, like, confides in her that, well, they're not – they used to be the same age, but, like, not anymore because he ages differently as a pope and yes, all of yeah. that. So just, like, very, like, fascinating back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, truly. Should we talk about the sermon? <laughs> and I think this is showing, like, I think that was a really interesting establishing shot of, like, yeah. how poorly things are going in his papacy. Yeah. Um, because he's decided he's going to start preaching backwards yeah. so no one can see his face. Mm-hmm. They can just see the back of his head and little the little papal hat. Mm-hmm. Um, like his like crossing genuflection is very pronounced because he has to do it so that you can like see it. Yes. you know from from behind. <laughs> right. So he has to swing on his like arms like way to the left and yeah. right. Um, Podcasting right, not a visual medium, no. but um, but um, yeah, but there's no one no. in St. Peter's Square. There are more reporters than there are yeah. uh, like actual you know. Things that you would never, that I would never guess as someone who, you know, has a lot of 
friends from college who, um, like, their goal is to go see the mass and, like, get as close as possible. You know what it looks like? It looks like a Ron DeSantis rally in Iowa. (laughs) More press than supporters. Uh But, yeah, that's, I think, just showing how how terribly things are going. It is. um, It is funny, though, too. And, like, that is, you know, the show's willing to maintain its sense of humor, even as, again, it's, like... Grieving, depressed, slash horny Lenny. Yeah, very much so. And it's, he walks back in, like, he recognizes that this is the, like, worst sermon ever. And, like, there's no life in this at all whatsoever. That presence and absence is not working and all of that. And And I wonder, like, from the, like, watching of the show and, like, casting into the show perspective, at what point does Lenny decide that, like, all right, we're gonna do this trip that, uh, Sophie wants us to go on? Is it, like, a well-considered decision that he'd been thinking about for a couple of days or is it like a spur-of-the-moment thing he like walks mm-hmm. back and it's like I gotta shake something up and I've gotta surprise the Voyello and Sister Mary and Sophie mm-hmm. who are all as fucking bored as the eight worshippers in the square right. and so he's just like at the drop of a hat like mm-hmm. you know um, like deciding to do it spur-of-the-moment mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know what an episode. What an episode. What an episode. Do we have more in the main discussion or should we head I to the th- segments? I think we're good. Let's head to the segments. Okay. Uh, what do you What do you have in the rectory? Um, so today in my rectory, um, I really thought at one point we were going to see the assassination assassination temp- attempt on Lenny. I still think it's going to happen. Um, but yes, when they were, I think, pulling into the truck stop and there was like some walkie-talkie action. I was like, this is it. It's going to happen. Oh, the truck driver's on the, on the, like, um, yeah. on the CB radio. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so I really thought we were going to see assassination attempt. Um, I still think it will happen in the next two episodes. Um, I also, pre- I mean, when he assassinates S- sister Antonia, I know, but I wasn't predicting he was going to assassinate anybody. <laughs> um, I do, th- I think also we are going to still somehow see sister Mary, um, get in deep trouble with Lenny for, Something she's she's laid plans too well. She's starting to grab her behavior. I think she's going to get caught. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Regan Directory. Always, always reliable. Oh, thanks. Full of classics. I think we have a very full gloss today. Would you say yes. so? <laughs> so many things. It was. It is an episode that's all over the place. Correct. I, th- I I agree that like us having a lot of stuff here does reflect something about the structure slash lack yes. thereof. Yeah. Uh, narratively of the episode. So, what did you think of the Juana Fernandez bit at the beginning? So, there was a very brief glimpse of her at the yes. very, as the very, very final shot, which we didn't yes. actually address in the previous episode, with no context. And we mm-hmm. find out a little bit more about her from what yep. we're led to believe is like a Spanish priest. Yes. Um, so, with Juana Fernandez, I thought it was a really interesting parallel to... Um, Mother Antonia. Um, There's like two things that women get canonized for. And it's Mm -hmm. like taking care of the sick or like martyrdom. And, you know, um, Juana is definitely like, you know, she's being um, considered blessed, though, I think for something really interesting. She's healing the sick, Uh but she's doing it with like fairy tales that have their root in paganism. Uh I love that. Um, which I thought was really interesting of like, oh, to be truly good, perhaps you need to like embrace all forms of spirituality, which I thought was kind of an interesting point versus, um, sister Antonia is doing the wrong things. If she's very militantly Catholic, does not seem to want to embrace any sort of aspects of like a traditional African spirituality with the folks she works with. 
um, is expected to be worshipped herself. Like, we mm-hmm. see her in her opening scene, like, just put her hands out to the people in the compound. That was creepy. Like, right. in an episode full of creepy shit, that was one of the creepiest. Yes. Um, versus, I cannot imagine Juana doing that, because she just wanted to, like, go talk to her fellow kids. Yeah. Um, and heal with a smile, right? That's yes, what the priest, yeah. that's what the priest or cardinal or whatever right. describes her as doing. Like, right. you know, uh, it's through the fairy tales, but also healing with a smile. Right. And so I think a really interesting thing to think about, um, especially because um, Mother Teresa is so venerated in the church. Hot take. I don't think she should be. Absolutely that was, not. That was sick. Yeah. Right. And so, and that's the same sort of like weird shit going on in this episode with Aunt, with Antonia. I mean, we're, we're, I'm assuming we're meant to like view Sister Antonia as a commentary on Mother Teresa. Right? I would think so. Yeah. Of yeah. like, we're shooting for Mother Teresa. We have a hospital, like a community of goodwill, right? But actually, things are pretty horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was really struck by your point that there are only a couple of things that women can be canonized for mm-hmm. because, like, Juana Fernandez as a character or as, or as an apparition of a character, mm-hmm. like, can only be seen slash, like, glimpsed but is never heard from herself, mm-hmm. right? We get Juana f- through the priest, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only way we get her story to. Right. So it's another, like, well, we've got a person of color who, like, can't speak in the young Pope world. Yeah. Um, in this case, it's a young woman mm-hmm. um, as well. Lenny and, like, talking with the priest who wants to canonize her is just also very interesting. Like, we get nice view of the gardens at Castel Gandolfo. We mm-hmm. get, um, you know, Lenny skeptical, but then like, as soon as he gets w- half of one reassurance from the priest, he's like, cool, let's figure this out and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And again, there's also, there's also like a fact that she's a child, right? Still. Yeah. Um, given the now multiple times we've gotten Lenny's like dream image of this, the pile of babies, mm-hmm. Given the like lack of children characters mm-hmm. in this show, yep. Other than young Lenny and young Andrew, right? Um, yeah, an interesting commentary on children's faith, but I kind of appreciate that they are not doing a lot with that in the show. I agree because that is something that I think you know the Catholic Church has a lot of work to do with their relationship with childhood and children. Yeah. Um, I think of like my own um, kind of religious upbringing where. I told this story recently to someone and was like, I haven't thought about that in a while. And that was weird where I like told the sister associated with the church I was growing up with, who was one of the Sunday school teachers that I wasn't continuing with Sunday school and middle school. And like that woman like lost it in the most nunnish way possible. Like we're talking like (laughs) pulled me into a hug after class. I'm trying to go home because I was getting a ride with our family friends and she like makes us late. It was very embarrassing. And she like pulled me in and did like, a crossing of the wrist sort of thing. Mm. Like, I don't know if that was meant to be prayerful or not, but it was weird. Yeah. Well, you did foreshadow in the first episode of Our Young Poping. This was a space for processing religious trauma. This is true. So, yeah, Sister Kathy, why did you try to smother me? It's weird. Great question. <laughs> Sister Kathy, the lines are open. Not quite great books. Right. TV. Exactly. No, not great books. TV at gmail.com. Yes. Sister Kathy, email us. Uh, well, record a special episode to, to follow up. Yes. All right. So one of the scenes of like Lenny walking around the gardens is he's talking with this priest about mm-hmm. Juana. The other is that there's this writer, I forget the writer's name. It's like Elmo Conklin, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something like that. But, like we're, we're meant to read him as Philip Roth. 
right? That's what I that's what I was getting. I wasn't sure. Like older white dude, like coded as a Jewish person, obsessed mm. about sex. Like that, well, that makes sense now. That I'm right. Like about so, it. I'm assuming it's supposed to be Philip Roth. A very fucking weird conversation that the two yes. of them have. And again, it gets to your point about this being like an extremely pervy or horny episode, and also like. Lenny is more honest with this writer than with almost than Gutierrez, right? Yeah. And Sister Mary. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. Gutierrez is obviously in New York, we assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sister Mary is like sad, like bawling, grieving mm-hmm. uh, Andrew's death as opposed to like ennui grieving his right. death. Yeah. Um, but Len, they make this comparison between writers and men of the cloth. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you made of that comparison that they make. Um, I. Okay, well, I mean, as someone kind of engrossed in the writing world... Yes, exactly. This is, um, you're somewhat the perfect person to ask this question <laughs> to, so... I, I, it's hard to say because I'm not much of a fiction person anymore. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time teaching people how to write essays and be prepared for the analytical work of college. I, I kind of make of it that men of the cloth and writers are men that use story and language to convince people to do things or to think things or to change their minds. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot about the relationship also with scholar, like scholarship and being a scholar and being someone who, who is literate. That was like the thing you did if you wanted to be educated as in, many years ago, like yeah. in the 18th, 17th, 18th century and yeah. further before. Or like the life of the mind is a monastic life of a certain kind. Exactly. Like that stereotype, stereotypical image. Right. Because it was a white guy, I definitely was like, oh, it's a Wordsworth guy who's like, everything comes out of my head perfect and amazing. And it doesn't need an editor. And I'm not going to do collaboration, which is dumb. That guy does not think he needs an editor. Exactly. Um, so that was my other role is, uh, or kind of read on that is that that guy like Elmo Conklin I think that I'm pretty sure that was his name it's not his name it's not it's <laughs> Elmo something no it's Elmore I think Elmore we're gonna do some live uh, IMDB which the audience I'm sure absolutely loves we have our friend Elmore Cohen Elmore Cohen okay yeah. I think he does not want an editor he does not want he says he's obsessed with sex but in like a really I think a very incel kind of way um, also of like he's obsessed with the idea yeah, of sex literary but, like, incel, right? doesn't really want to like make love to a woman um, sort of thing yeah and there's some interesting Lenny like rejoinders to this character's mm-hmm. like whole vibe where you know Lenny says that I forget actually which one of them says this but like they agree that as writers and men of the cloth there needs to be a preservation of some mystery because if the mysteries are solved then they become irrelevant right mm-hmm. so like that kind of maintenance of tension which like very much is a uh, buttress to Lenny's whole ideological project with regards to the church right. um, well and I also kind of wonder if this episode is trying to sidestep some like anti-semitism in some ways because yeah. um, this writer is highly Im- implied to be Jewish rabbis not necessarily equivalent to priests in any sense yeah but they are men who are, and women, um, who are immersed in the teachings of the Talmud and the teachings of the Torah or even and like, able to provide commentary and teach people how to a- ask questions. Right. Cause like I think about like the traditions of interpreting the Talmud versus the traditions of 
receiving wisdom from on high about yeah. the New and Old Testament, right? And there's not actually a perfect equivalent mm-hmm. to the Talmud in Christianity or nope. in Catholicism. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's I'm different epistemological, like, assumptions. Yeah, so different ways of interacting with religion. I'm asking you questions um, in order to get you to think for yourself um, in some ways. So yeah. I thought that was also kind of an interesting thing. Because if yeah. they had made it just an outright a-, a rabbi, it would have probably gotten weird. No, it, it got weird see. enough. Uh-huh. It got weird enough as was. I mean, especially when Lenny is like, well, don't you can't scandalize me with anything because like I'm a priest. And if you're a priest, you ex- accept confession. And he makes the comparison, very telling comparison for Lenny's character of that the confession is their operating room. That just as a surgeon has to become like mm-hmm. inured to the sight of blood in order to succeed at being a surgeon, like they have to become the priests have to become inured at like the dirtiest shit you could ever think of in order mm-hmm. to like you know operate the confessional booth uh, mm-hmm. appropriately and, they, and then it goes on to say that sex is pleasure is over overvalued just to like maintain some consistency with prior episodes yes. keep the continuity alive right and just like the last thing i'll say about this encounter is like the perviness the creepiness of the way that the elmore cohen character like looks at the sisters Right. Like at the very end of their conversation is like mm-hmm. telling you all we as viewers need to know about what Paolo Sorrentino thinks about Elmer Cohen, but also maybe thinks about Lenny on mm. some level. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Given okay. the given the parallels between Lenny and Cohen that are drawn in in this uh, this part. OK. What do you think of Voyello and Mary having a. Their moment. A romantic question mark moment. Was it a romantic why is, moment? Why is this episode just so charged? I don't get it. I really don't. It was, I just thought it was like really like what a dynamic between the two of them. And also two people who are starting to, I think, question their faith in some ways. Yeah. Or at least question the power of the church since encountering Lenny at the head of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the way you said that because in some ways like... They start at opposite poles from one another, like, whereas Mary clearly, and this was no more evident than in the preceding episode or, like, in the Regan Rectory predictions, that she has turned away from Lenny Mm -hmm. as Voyello has haltingly and, like, not anywhere close to fully, but, like, he hasn't made a 180, but, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a 38-degree turn towards accepting some aspects of Lenny. Like, he's been touched by Lenny's worldview at points as well. Right. So, yeah, there's that, like, alignment of the two of them vis-a-vis Lenny that is fascinating to track. Yeah. Yeah. And how it just has turned them and made them question how they go about supporting him or if they even support him at all. Do you think that we're meant to draw a like narrative or structural parallel? Like could we, could we chart or map out romantic vibes between Mary and Voyello as paralleling their like skepticism of Lenny? Is that the proposal? I don't know. That's too much. I, I think that's too much. I think, because I think if there's anything, it was charged in that moment because of Voyello and how he views women mm-hmm. and not because of of Mary Fair. and how yeah. she interacts with men. Yeah. Right. Because she gives the, oh, like, mm-hmm. that's what this is. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Right. Enunciation. Um, right. Because she's a woman who's been surrounded by adolescent men her entire life. Mm-hmm. She knows how to handle, like... Adolescent yeah. horn dogness. Uh-huh. Old man horn dogness is a whole different beast and ten times worse. So I would say it's a moment that's charged because of his choices and how he views women versus what her intentions are towards him. A brilliant reading. Oh well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, R.I.P. Kangaroo. 
R.I.P. Kangaroo. That's really sad. Like Lenny's, sad. Lenny's really and sad. Also, like really horrible death. For it's the like kangaroo. a violent death, right? Like it's been like stabbed or clawed or yeah. something, like on the steps at the Vatican. Like it's just it's probably Tonino. Ooh, that's a bonus rectory. Bonus rectory, yeah. Um, it was probably Tonino. Yeah, and just a huge bummer. Like right? the first time or the third or fourth time the other night when I watched this, it's like this is really sad. Um, you know, part of it is like my fucked up identification with Lenny and like Lenny's sadness, but mm-hmm. um but also it's just like that was you know, I guess there's a kind of like meta reading to give of it that like if you kill the kangaroo, you're killing some of like the more like weird flourishy stuff of this television show. But yeah. it doesn't like actually lose any weird flourishy stuff. No, so no it's just like one work. piece of weirdness. Yeah, um, but it, also representative as to I think how he Lenny is like losing power. Right. Yeah. I like that. And then to go to like a previous Regan point from like episode three or something, you made the you made the brilliant connection that I've still been thinking about in the like many episodes that have passed since about like the way that we associate kangaroos and motherhood, like because they're marsupials and stuff. Mm. So like in an episode that as you have pointed out is about Lenny wanting to fuck his mom, like we got another Eros Thanatos situation here. Yeah. Like motherhood, but it's also like death. So yeah. I just wanted to you know, give you give you your props and do some uh, bullshit yes, theorizing I mean, on top of your theory. Oh well, you know, um, everyone knows that kangaroos are the ultimate symbol of motherhood. <laughs> Canon. We should be well. We I don't know. I mean, I think it's something that uh, people don't think about that often. Although I suppose if you think of a like a kangaroo character, what do you, what comes to mind first? Okay, I, I have the young pope. Like that. Right, if someone right. asked was like, imagine a kangaroo, I think of the kangaroo and young pope. Okay, okay, because I went first to like crocodile done. D mm-hmm. or like Steve Irwin-y, but yeah. also like Kanga from Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. was the only mom in that show too. Oh, fascinating! Yeah. All right. I don't know. Those Bo- are my thoughts. Bonus pod. Bonus pod for the Patreon. Right. The um, sexual politics um, of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Actually, no. that, that would have to go in the main cast because that's going to do bonkers numbers. No, I, I don't think I want to destroy Winnie the Pooh like that. Let yeah. me. Let, let's just leave Poopy. <laughs> He's pro- done enough. It's probably probably the safe route at least. I think it's Pooh. You know, Winnie the Pooh probably a safe space. I mean, really, the man just the the bear eats constantly and doesn't wear pants i i think we need to leave them there yeah anti-work king winnie the pooh um yep. sit around and eat sweets and not work and don't wear pants it's yep. like that's yep. and just life. be surrounded by friends yeah exactly in like trees and like yep. you know plants around and that's my cottage cord stream <laughs> <laughs> i think we can still make it happen thank you <laughs> Um, so the other weird thing of like this episode about a lot about sex and like inappropriate views on sex is that Kurt Will case, where is it going? Is yeah. it going at all? I miss Gutierrez. Yeah. I um, need, I need an update. Where episode. in the world is Bernardo Gutierrez? I don't know. Um, you know, spoilers, but like episode nine is Gutierrez centric. Okay. I'll noted. point out. Um, all right. There's Enough a, said. There's a nice structural thing that this episode does about the Kurtwell case because it has somewhat like gone to the back burner of the show over the last like let's call it episode and a half before mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. one. It's, there's also the time jump in there, right? So like Gutierrez gets sent out, time mm-hmm. jump, and so we don't know what's happened over the you know the the, the months mm-hmm. um, that have gone that have gone by, and like they have a journalist interrupt. Sophie, like, being the here's my press, like, handling of the plane ride to quote-unquote mm-hmm. Africa. Um, 
And the journalist just like yells and a woman journalist, which I think is notable for the show that doesn't feature a ton of women characters, um, shouts to Lenny, like, what's happening with the Kurtwell case? It's been forever. Are you going to do anything? Our sources say that you're being blackmailed by Kurtwell and mm-hmm. you're like slow walking this and not do anything. So like just as we, the viewers, could have forgotten about that, right? The accusation by the journalist is that like the church within the universe of the show has also forgotten it. So like this like uh, interruptive um, eruption from the journalist, I think is useful both like within the world of the show, but also kind of metatextually mm-hmm, to us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we are about to get a Gutierrez in New York episode. Okay. So I appreciate that. Definitely. I mean, I guess it is setting us up for what is going to be some truly horrific findings in uh, New York. Um, no comments. Um, the next episode is actually pairs really well with this one in okay. strange and fucked up ways. Okay. All right. So now I'll get myself ready. Yourself. Um, we've got a few days before that'll happen. Uh, what do you think of the feminine protesters? This is, that's a very, this show is situated in 2016, 17 moment. Yeah, yeah. Like those are the, the, the group they'll be protesting. Question for you. When the like topless feminine protesters is, they often protested yeah. um, in various places in central and Eastern and Western Europe, um, pop out of the shrubs in the garden, uh, shirtless with the word bastard, right? <laughs> um, one letter by one letter um, across their like painted body painted onto them. Is that real or is that Lenny's like dream or vision? I, think, I don't know, but I want it to be real. <laughs> Wait, that's they, fucking hilarious. Did they infiltrated the, the... I think... Yeah. I forget if they're in the Vatican or, like, Castel Gandolfo. I, I think they're at Castel Gandolfo. I want it to be a thing that actually happened, because yeah. that was hilarious. Yeah, and it doesn't go anywhere, right? Right, well, right. It does. No, it does, because it connects to he's <laughs> Jesus' dad, and yes. he doesn't have a dad. Maybe he's really a bastard. Um whatever um and how he you know has distanced himself from pseudo dad cardinal um spencer and you know wants to fuck his mom where's the mom to fuck and be the son of jesus yes yeah yeah and the mom to fuck is sophie or the mom to fuck are like traditionally you know, conventionally yes. attractive topless yeah. uh, european women of right. feminine right. yeah so. um feminine was all the rage and but I wonder why uh, in 2016, 17. You know, it's a really, I think, uh, I strongly endorse topless protesting. Yeah. I think it's a good way to make a point. Worked in this episode. <laughs> um, worked on money. That's for sure. Whether it was real or a dream. Yeah, that's yeah. true. All right. Um, a couple of great lines to note from this episode. Like, what became of the roller skating children? Was <laughs> Really? A what did become of them, though? It's a good question. I would like to know that as well. Like, it is the summer. Like, I don't know if they we're, like, right. talking about an academic calendar situation here. Um, Esther's obviously gone. She was the one supervising the roller skating children. Right. So they have no one to roller skate with them. The opening monologue when Lenny is praying in, like, an uh, accentuated accent, to your point from earlier, um, has this, like, 
line that was just made me laugh so hard about right. the, the archaic beauty of 20-year-old Sister Mary as she sank baskets. <laughs> and like, I just want a loop of when of, of Jude Law's Lenny Bellardo, like really emphasizing the accent, saying sank baskets, like over and over and over again. Because like what a like combination of phrase, voice work, uh, visual of Sister Mary sinking baskets at the uh, at the court. Um, she's a hooper. What can I say? I had no idea that basketball was such an erotic sport. <laughs> Neither did Andrew and Lenny. Clearly not. Well, no, I think they did because they're they. I, the show shows the longstanding crushes that many and sexual awakenings that many of the orphans go through. Yeah. watching Sister Mary shoot hoops, uh-huh. sink baskets, sink baskets. Yes. Um, Great writing. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that was not a surprise to me that they too had that as their sexual awakening. <laughs> um, but you know, if I was going to rank a sexiest sport, I would not say basketball myself. <laughs> well, what's number one in your spatake hockey? Wow. I know. Closely followed by baseball. Okay. Um, have you seen the Savannah Bananas, John? No, I have not. You should. I don't know what that is. Um, they're, but profe- they're they're like a... Um, should I Google this on the work computer that we're sitting at right now or wait till I go home? You can Google it on the okay. work computer. All it's right. fine. Just wanted to make sure. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm shook by that. Uh, I need a second to recover. <laughs> About the sexiness of baseball and hockey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe that's a conversation for off mic. For the Patreon. Okay. Um, we can rank um, All right. sports. Well, I suspect this chunk will be edited out. <laughs> oh, no. We're keeping this part um, oh, for Lord. sure. Unless you want me to edit it out, of course. We'll talk. <laughs> I also enjoyed uh, Pope Lenny in the cockpit. <laughs> Right, so he's, he's sitting in the pilot seat and like you know just chatting it up with the pilot. And can he's, I touch? Can I touch? No. Watch. Okay, hilarious in the moment. Like great comedic acting by Jude Law. Um, but also like not not about his relationship to women and sexuality. Can I touch? No. Mm, can I touch for no? Like by an authority figure, i.e., God. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. I think that's a fair read. All right. I'm into it. I'm here for it. All right. Potpourri. Potpourri. Oh, I love potpourri. Um, I'm loving that potpourri is becoming your favorite It segment. has become my favorite. Well, part of it is that it's my second favorite segment. Oh, okay. Hot priest rating is obviously. I mean, it's number the number one. one segment in the yeah, country. I mean, if we're, yeah. If we're like ranking hotness of segments or just segments in general, that's number one. Okay. I mean, just like the colonialism of so much mission work that yeah. exists, like under the ambit of the Catholic Church, but also like, you know, many other religious right. sects. The Christianity is, is not good about colonialism, spreading the word of God, destroying the planet. Yeah. And like one only has to look back to like, the Papal Bull of 1493, right, which was, like, one of the key mechanisms of attempted justification of the mm-hmm. colonization of the quote-unquote New World, or, like, you know, it's a very long and, like, sorted history of the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. colonialism and quote-unquote missionary work or, you know, mission work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this episode for its numerous, like, fucked-up flaws does call attention to this in the figure of Sister Antonia. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it's interesting in this episode that we get the two very different versions of um, Catholicism. Throwing us back to episode one, I think a little bit, a little bit, this is not my greatest take of how to phrase this, but, like, there's the meeting of the four cardinals, and they're making fun of the African cardinal because he's so hopeful. And yet we see this picture of, like, 
they're rejoicing for the Pope's arrival um, in this unnamed, not named mystery African country um, where we're seeing two very different versions of like, this is very joyful, lots of singing, lots of dancing. Um, honestly, if I went to a mass like that, I think I would probably be a better Catholic, frankly, versus like the very sterile mass that we saw earlier in the episode. And that is really associated with like a European view of Catholicism, um, which it is very serious and like very still and like, yeah, we sing, but not, not like that. Like it's very like dirges. Um, except for one bread, one body, because that's a real banger. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, think I listen only to Christian ska music, so. Oh, well, there, <laughs> fair enough. All right. Um, but it just makes me think of, like, when I was living in France, I was going to a Catholic-associated university um, and met there. He was in my, like, class, um, Father, Father Vitalis Cocoro, who um, had been placed in a parish in France and was not loving it and was like, they're so still, there's no joy in this. They don't, they barely want to be Catholic and, you know, had a long dialogue with him about it. And I was like, that's, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And like, it's why I'm really not very religious father Kokoro. And he was like, well, you need to come to Ghana with me. We'll just, I don't worry about money. Just pay for your plane ticket. We've got you. And like, you will go have like a great time and, with the Ghanaian Catholics, and I was like, okay, never did it, but would do it. So, Father Vitalis, email me. Still stand. Yeah. Does the offer still stand? Email me. I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I have two thoughts here. I mean, one is that like my connection to what do Global South Catholicisms do to distinguish themselves mm. from like Catholicism of the center or the core, right? Is like through liberation theology. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of my thoughts then. But the other thought I have, and this is shouts to uh, my friend and previous co host on the previous theory, critical theory podcast that I was a part of, um, James Paoloni Jr., who writes about like the way that African diasporic peoples take up. Off, particularly like mystical elements mm, of Catholicism yeah. to merge them with like African cosmologies mm-hmm. is a way that's like a emancipatory like reclaiming of some right. elements of Catholicism mm-hmm. as well and like he writes from one of the uh, his book that he's working on is about St. Martin de Porres mm-hmm. um, and like he does really fascinating work on some of these issues that uh, you and this Ghanaian priest that you had met um, were, were talking about in terms of like what does it mean to try to like bring to like decolonize or something Catholicism um, in right, these con- colonial contexts. Mm. You also have written here, Spencer, all priests have a crisis of faith. Second calling is harder than the first. Yeah, so we have an interesting point. You had a great point about like Spencer being a quasi-father figure that Lenny is mm-hmm. falling away from and like we get another version of their confrontation, but also Lenny's attempted reliance and like shepherding by Spencer mm-hmm. in uh, this episode in like the long, you know, first half of it of like ennui Lenny mm-hmm. where Spencer, Lenny tells Spencer he's never going to be Pope. Right. And Lenny insists he's not going to resign. And then they get into like another argument between the two of them. And Spencer brings up that like, you don't believe in God. And Lenny's like, what? And you don't believe in God. 
But then, so at first it seems like Spencer's just like purely negging Lenny. Mm -hmm. He's mostly negging Lenny. But he also then goes in to say that like every priest has this crisis of faith and that it's much harder to like find your second calling. Mm -hmm. But I thought was a fascinating view of the priesthood from Spencer. Well, and especially after following, we saw the calling of that Spanish priest describing Sister Juana. Exactly. Um, And that Lenny has, you know, one of the things we noted, particularly in the first couple episodes, is how Lenny seemingly asked everybody what their calling was right um so that question is always central to his like searching nature for god mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so it's about a like fascinating view um for spencer with juana we're also talking about like what are the canonization right. practices of the she's church only, yep she's only listed as a blessed so that's the step below being canonized yeah um i believe jp2 is blessed um, at this moment, don't think he's been fully canonized. Yeah, I wouldn't know. So I trust your knowledge oh, here. You. Well, I, when JP2 is canonized, you know, Susan will let us know. Thank you. It will be an exciting time <laughs> uh, in the life of Susan. Great. I'm um, excited for that. We also get to leave Rome for a little bit and see the other places that Pretty the Pope bops around in. Yeah. So we spend some time in the Apostolic Palace of Castel Gandolfo, um, in Castel Gandolfo on a lake in Italy, um, which I'd always heard referenced. I feel like there's some, like, spy fiction from the 70s and 80s. I want to say it's like a Frederick Forsyth book that takes mm. place in part at Castel Gandolfo. I think an assassination attempt against the Pope, actually. Like, I mean, okay. Obviously, there were assassination attempts against JP2. So yes, like, yeah. there's also some mixing with that history as well. Um, but, you know, we learned from Wikipedia that uh, the Vatican has had this since 1596. Uh, it was part of the site of the Rome, uh, Roman Emperor Domitian, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And... Uh, it apparently housed Jewish refugees. Oh, um, love in that! World War Two. So, um, a bunch of popes have died there as well. Mm-hmm. Fascinatingly, uh, Wikipedia also tells us that JP two is who had the swimming pool built in the palace, which I think canonically situates this show in a post JP two world. I think right? you're right. So JP two did exist in the world of this show now more yeah. officially. Yes. I'm that's how I'm going to choose to interpret. I also think least. fascinatingly that the Wikipedia page also shows us. Um, W's visit with Laura uh, and the Pope at Castle Gandolfo. W like looking as befuddled as ever uh, next to. I know JP. it's it's. I think it's really weird to live in a world where I'm like, but you know, here we are. I will say I'm a big fan of Laura Bush with her love of libraries. Fair. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. But. What's the W take while we're on the subject? Like, it's interesting to talk to, you know, political science, obviously. So, like, students, you know, who rightfully are like, Trump is the worst, whatever, whatever. Right. Like, who don't have any sense of W as a president mm-hmm. and how fucking terrible and oppressive that was. Right. Um, and, like, obviously he's been engaged in his public image reclamation process with, like, extremely mid mm-hmm. paintings. Yep. Um, so just and, like, like, a weird, weird friendship with uh, Michelle Obama. <laughs> Very fucking weird indeed. Yeah. Um, so just weirdly, like, weirdly loving towards each other. But, so it's just, oh well. yeah, very like it's interesting to like, you know, because my political coming of age is, you know, 2000 well, is, is, is the Bush years. I mean, I will say, as someone who just wrapped up teaching a summer class for a freshman, most of them were born in 2005. And, oh, I know. And it's, we're not aware. They were, it's like, I literally was like, we were talking about important things that happened in 2005 in class the other day. And someone asked, like, who was president? And I was like, oh, it was. George W. Bush, and they were like, oh, yeah, W, yeah. 
Like they don't know anything. I know. So my my go to icebreaker on the first day of class is what is your first political memory? Mm, um, which that's a good I, one. I love that as an icebreaker, but it definitely is like a sh- like show myself my age when I you know I first started doing this. Like when did I first start teaching in twenty eleven? Mm-hmm. Right. So like even traditional age college students. And that was when I was at Hunter and teaching mostly at night. And so it was like mm-hmm. students who were often coming back or a little bit older. Um, so like their first political memories to like my first political memory, if I'm lucky is like the 2012 election for today's mm. 18, 19 year olds. Yeah. Um, makes me feel super old. Right. That's like a true. Okay. Boomer moment for me. I don't know. I feel like what, my first political memory. Yeah. Is what is yours? Uh, I'm not even joking. It was really weird. It was during the W Gore race. Um, and my school held like a mock election. The, the mock election is a classic right. students first political memory. I yeah. Of like, okay, we're going to pick someone to vote for. We're going to go mime the voting process. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was in, uh, I think the second grade at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely in second grade because Mrs. Nayback was my teacher. Um, shout out to Mrs. Nayback, who... Also welcome in on the pod. Right. If you would love to come and comment on my young political activism, <laughs> please do. Um, someone who has known me my whole life and seen me make many mistakes. Um, God bless second grade teachers. Um, but yeah, so I um, remember voting for W because that was who my dad was going to vote for. I remember distinctly telling classmate Tara Simon who voted for Gore, I was like, well, my dad told me Gore was the bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how my opinions have changed. I mean, my first political memory is basically like the 96 election. So Clinton Dole. Um, And then like, I have a lot of distinct memories from the second of Clinton's terms as well. Like Mm. Lewinsky, you have um, Kosovo, you have stuff like that. Okay. So those, those are my, my answer is always in there somewhere to the students. I would say also, which also like dates are, you know, five, six year age difference. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, another strong political memory of me was also, um, during the Bush carry, uh, run, my dad refused to buy Heinz ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) That's like Stray's a Heinz. Yes. Because Carrie's wife is a Heinz. Um, segue alert. (laughs) We have a Teresa Hines, which brings us to Where Where in the the World world is John's John's Confirmation Name? Today, Regan, I w- I'm piloting this one. Yes. I hope you'll I hope you'll permit. I, you have earned it. Um, is uh, Teresa of Avila? Oh, perfect segue. It explicitly. What an amazing paragraph! Hook. <laughs> Thank you for writing theorying my segue. <laughs> I deeply appreciate that, actually. Um, so there's like a couple things about uh, Teresa Bavila that we want to know. First is we're going to do the traditional like, could this be my confirmation? So we can what what are our patronages here for uh, Saint Teresa? Let's see, Spain, sick people, people and religious orders, orders. Okay, chess. You do love chess. That, that speaks to um, me. People ridiculed for their piety. Not I, me. Not you, though I do ridicule you frequently in our, <laughs> in our friendship dynamic. You Usually deserved. <laughs> Not always, um, but usually. Right, let's see. Uh, lace makers. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Posega, Croatia, Talisay City, Cebu, and the Philippines. Okay. Okay. 
But she's known for a controversy with her reforms met with determined opposition uh, and interest from the Spanish Inquisition, but no charges were laid against her. Her order split as a result. Bum bum. So I think the thing that is most fascinating about St. Teresa, and other than Teresa Hines, who clearly was the impetus for this uh, choice, is I was listening to another podcast, um, Girls Gone Canon, uh, a few days ago. And they were talking, making a comparison between, I, I forget, it was something in Song of Ice and Fire and mm. uh, the ecstasy of St. Teresa. Oh, okay. Right? So, like, famous, um, famous sculpture. Yes. And they read part of the uh, transverberation, uh, I have learned is the phrase, of St. Teresa's, like, apparent narration of this vision. And I want to read it aloud um, to you and to the audience, and you All can right. tell me how we might connect to the episode. How does mm. that sound to you? Great. I saw in his hand a long spear of gold, and at the point there seemed to be a little fire. He appeared to me to be thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very entrails. When he drew it out, he seemed to draw them out also, and to leave me all on fire with the great love of God. The pain was so sweet that it made me moan, and yet so surpassing was the sweetness of this excessive pain that I could not wish to be rid of it. End quote. Wow, I can see why you picked that to go with this episode. And why is that? Why? Because it's too sexy. Yeah. But also gross. Yes. It's like fucked up sexy gross yes. is um, um, one of the Well, I feel like in this episode. other podcast you were listening to, I got distinct. They're talking about a shy... They're talking, yeah, they're talking about yeah. Melisandre. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Melisandre and yeah, stuff. that's what and it was. His, her, her deal. Her yeah. religion. Um, okay. Got that immediately. Yeah. So I don't I, I don't think that I would have chosen or would today choose St. Teresa other okay. than the chess uh, situation. Yes. Yeah. But like... Her, the, the ecstasy and like the narration of this ecstasy in uh, you know that, that gets inspired inspires Benini's ecstasy of Saint Teresa stat, a sculpture. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks again, Wikipedia is right. I think too tempting to pass mm-hmm, up for mm-hmm. this episode. Definitely. All right, is it time to keep going? Time for hot priest rating. Ooh, all right, what do you got for us this week? So, uh, I will say, episode eight, I do believe. That Pope Lenny has reached wow. the pinnacle of the hot priest rating of hot priests from Fleabag. What a twist. Um, I think this was segment, the inspiration was that only at the end would we determine whether he met it. But like, right. this is too hot an it's episode too hot an of Juba to, we can't right. do anything. I would say that. if we needed to back down, he's gotten a, a, a gram, um, second run around. No, no, I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you on like, okay. he needs hot priest from okay. free Like standards. it's something about that shot in the pool where you yep. see his back and the freckles and then the following great scene, chest hair. great chest hair. Yeah, the and then post all along the watchtower, that <laughs> scene with the, stre- the erotic wrestling, right, the erotic stretching, stretching massage wrestling. And also like they're in this room in the castell. Right. And like, there's just this fucking horse sculpture that's just yep. chilling in that room. Watch. There's a Barbie joke in here that, um, about oh. horses and patriarchy. Okay. Um, I was going to go for a horse penis joke, but okay. Or that too. Like, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't see like any reason is, to not That is commentary that. on someone's penis <laughs> in that room. That's that, yeah. my take. Um, but yeah, this is, this is probably the hottest juba. I was shocked and was like confused because I was like, okay, like very horny, pool moment right yes. very very horny i feel that the intro is very horny always right the like, intro in general you mean like the uh the opening credit scene uh the opening credit yeah. scene yes mm-hmm. like that's I mean, the, always the wink is a knowing sexy wink. yes yes then more horn like after this like, <laughs> what? what i was so confused yeah shouts to jude law shouts to andrew scott <sighs> 
Good lord. Shouts to Regan for hot pre-straining the segment. What a time. What yeah. a place. I have nothing more to add about this. You, I mean, what a pinnacle of achievement of this segment and of Dubai and of the young Pope. Truly. I think it's time to go to the cave to off. <laughs> Keeping all of this. <laughs> Fanning myself, uh, we turn to Aquinas. Tune in next episode to listen to John and Regan's friendship get real weird. We're testing. <laughs> we have uh, the Summa 2A, 2AE104. Objectio 2. And here we have Aquinas writing. <clears throat> Moreover, Gregory says that, quote, obedience is the only virtue which implants in the other virtues in the soul and protects them once implanted. End quote. But a cause is greater than its effect. Therefore, obedience is greater than all the other virtues. Oh, my God. Why do I keep picking, like, the... <laughs> Name a more iconic duo, Aquinas and Regan Levitt. Like, come on. I, mean, I don't... There's no other explanation. Oh, my God. Well, I think the clear run there is, like, some connection with Antonia, um, with the obedience and, like, the weird... I don't know, like non-consensual colonial BDSM relationship mm-hmm. she has with the people that live absolutely near her yeah. compound. Yeah, right. And like Lenny would like to demand obedience from Sister Antonia. Mm-hmm. Like on some level, recognizes that's not going to happen. So like literally smites her down. Yeah. Um, in the world of the show, at the same time that she is demanding a certain kind of fucked up obedience, mm-hmm. reveling in um, like her being put on the pedestal and like touched and talked to in a very like fucked up way mm-hmm. um, from the people that she views as like her colonial wards or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and like so we have that part of it. We have like Lenny's general like emphasis on obedience to his edicts around mm-hmm. homosexuality, around queer people, around sex, around mm-hmm. the church in general. Um, like he, I think, would feel comfortable saying obedience is one of the greatest virtues, if not the greatest, as uh, mm-hmm. um, Aquinas tells us here. Yeah, probably. Okay. What about theory ship? Um, I'm going with a, um, a broad stroke, I suppose, um, in that I'm assigning some eco-feminism to everyone. John has suggested specifically the author, um, Vandana Shiva. Not an expert on eco-feminism, um, but I just feel like maybe we all need to take a look at it on this episode. My students will be reading some Vandana Shiva in okay. environmental political theory this right. semester. Great. So that's, yeah, that's my take. I, lo- I I really appreciate that. And I think that your connections that you drew out earlier and that you're pointing to here about, like, you know, you know classic eco-feminist position, right? Like, domination of the land is uh, similar and connected to and constitutes and is constituted by domination over women. And is, you know, there's a way then in which, like, particularly in Shiva and other, like, you know, Global South writers, third mm-hmm. world women writers um, on eco-feminism, like, connect that to a broader colonial projects. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think this is a really meaningful theory ship. Um, I have one and a half meaningful theory <laughs> ships and then some, then one and a half ridiculous ones. Okay. My most serious theory ship is that 
you know, we started this episode by talking about like, this is colonialism and not actually satirizing or undermining or subverting Mm -hmm. colonialism, even if maybe it attempted to do so, like it just fails at that attempt. And thus I would like to give Paolo Sorrentino some Walter Rodney and how Europe underdeveloped Africa, um, which I think might help if there's anything to be salvaged from the attempted critique of colonialism that like mostly doesn't actually happen or work in this episode maybe like we get add in some more of like the like critical like anti-colonial political Mm -hmm. economy uh, analysis of Walter Rodney and crew might help uh, enrich that Okay. That's my serious one. My half serious, half real one is uh, for Spencer. I'd like to assign like a series of works on the concept of enchantment and disenchantment because mm. he gets into this like question of disenchantment with Lenny, um, particularly around this like second calling business. So like obviously we're going to give him Weber um, about disenchantment and the Iron Cage and so on. But then more importantly, we're actually going to give Spencer some Jane Bennett on uh, enchantment and disenchantment books up there behind me and we also are going to give him some jason josephson jason josephson storm mm. um, who writes a wonderful book about the myth of disenchantment which also gets into like the relationship of like weber and weber's contemporaries to the occult at times in a really fascinating way mm. cool book um and like very helpful in a particular publication uh, with my friends rachel and emily so shouts to uh, that line of work and then i'd like to assign lenny to go to barbenheimer Okay. And that's all I got. And just uh, just experience Bar- Barbenheimer. Yeah. I will only be experiencing the Barb point. I have no interest in watching Oppenheimer. Yeah. The problem is that Lenny would, like, I think, over-identify with Oppenheimer. Got it. Well, as someone, um, you know, who probably will not see Oppenheimer, but who is of the Midwestern persuasion, yeah. um, I personally identify the most with Oppenheimer. <laughs> I think we should just make that the canonical pronunciation. No, that feels a little inexplicable to me. <laughs> Fair, that's true. That's 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 a great point. Yeah, but um, tempting. You know, tempting jokes about Ope. Yeah, um, and we're just gonna enjoy it. And I'm going to sign off. Well, thank you for that. Uh, we also like to thank Danielle, of course. Uh, we'd like to thank producer Amy. And we've only got two more episodes of The Young Pope to go, Regan. How are you yeah. feeling about um, that? Just fact? eager to see how this wraps up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many things going on. So this is this is like a late-breaking uh, Regan's Rectory moment. But, like, do you think there will be a, like, conclusive resolution to The Young Pope? No. Okay. Yeah, that's my that's my call. Why not? No conclusion. Um, I think because this show has so much to wrap up in two episodes. Mm-hmm. So okay. we'll see. All right. We'll be back next week with episode nine. As promised, uh, Gutierrez in New York-centric episode. Great. I hope he goes to that gay bar. <laughs> and uh, until next time, thank you for listening to Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.